Hey guys, good morning. morning. And peace be with you, church. Um, So I really just wanted to really quickly, when I, this is awkward. There we go. Um, When I was a kid, this is even more awkward. I, when I was a kid, I I used to, um, I was in church all the time, like you guys occasionally are, like this just in, in, in services a lot like this one. And um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, um, even Wednesday night sometimes, I was in there a lot. And um, truth be told, I got so bored a lot. And um, I would stack Bibles and hymnals, like you know the books with all the songs in them. We don't have those here. Um, I made a lot of paper airplanes out of the uh, programs that they handed out. I would occasionally get in trouble um, from being loud. And... Um, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually my dad. <laughs> hey, Dad. Hey, Pop. <sighs> you could have warned me you were coming. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, thanks for the... Um, Here's the thing. Um, can you be honest with me? When you're in here, do any of you, by a raise of hand, do any of you get bored? Okay. <laughs> All right. Now here, seriously, I don't. I want you to know that it is. I. It's totally fine. And um, that doesn't bother me one bit. It, I don't expect. My expectation is is that when you are in here, like you're, that you're not wildly entertained or fully, you know, engrossed in what I'm having to say. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, if, if you fiddle, if you color, if you read, or even if you fall asleep um, <laughs> in here, I want you to know that that's perfectly fine. Trust me, some of your parents fall asleep. And, um, and it doesn't bother me. It really does not bother me at all. Because the truth of it is, when people, I want you to understand, people don't come into church, they shouldn't be coming into church to be whipped into shape. And people don't come into church to be scolded and to be told that they're not good enough or they better get their act together. People come into church for really one reason, at least they should be. And that is to be told that they are loved. You are who you are loved by, plain and simple. And if you know that, if you can remember that, that you are a son, you're a daughter who is deeply loved. You're loved by God. You're loved by me. You're loved by them. If you know that and you can actually like remember it and keep that, you can do a whole lot. You can be brave. You can be kind. You can forgive. You can be generous. You can do a lot of things. You can change. You can be different. It really is kind of like a force field if you know that you're loved. And so that's it. I just want you to know that you're loved. I want you to remember that. If you get bored, it's okay. If you take a nap, it's okay. When you leave here, when you go to school, whatever you do, remember. Above anything else, just remember that you are one who is deeply, deeply loved. You got it? Yeah? All right, let me pray for you. And then you can... Go back to your seats, all right? Lord, thank you so much for these 
kids, thank you so much for the parents, the aunts, the uncles, the grandparents, whoever uh, that brought them in here this morning. We love them, but ultimately, Lord, we know you love them more. Thank you for their presence. Uh, Thank you for the gift that they give. And uh, Lord, help us and guide us in how we teach them, how we love them, and how we guide them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. If you got your Bibles, um, or you want to turn your Bible on, whatever your style is, Luke 12 is where I want to read from this morning. Luke 12. And we're going to pick up kind of mid-thought of Jesus talking, so, but I hope it'll make sense for you. Um, Luke 12, I'm going to pick up in verse 13. Luke 12, starting in 13, and we're actually going to go all the way down to 34. It's quite a bit, so hang tight. Take a deep breath. Just try to relax in. Let's ask the Lord to calm our minds enough to actually take in these words here as we hear from God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, and this to Jesus, teacher, tell, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and, and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, well, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to the disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than birds? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, 
For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. I'm convinced that Jesus had a sense of humor. Because when he asks this question, verse 25, it's clearly tongue-in-cheek, right? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? It's like, hey, that's isn't hard to calculus. It's like, it's kind of an eye roller, right? Thanks, Jesus. We get the point. It's obvious. Jesus is simply drawing our attention to the deluded human tendency to think that we can somehow worry our way into peace. Right? Plan our way, worry our way into rest. Let me give you the most sobering sermon introduction you've ever heard. <coughs> Statistically speaking, the chances of you reaching a, your 110th birthday are about one in seven million. Do I have your attention? Sorry, men. Um, women statistically, um, have a lot better shot at this than you. In every period in history um, that we know of, women statistically outlive us. <laughs> if you are interested in just some of the data around it, uh, Daniel Lieberman, who is a, a, he's a biologist at, at Harvard, he has stated that good health practices can help you get to 80. Beyond that, it's pretty much a crapshoot. And um, he quite literally has stated the best way to get beyond that, to ensure to get, you can get beyond that, is to pick your parents. Good luck, right? Seems to be uh, genetic-based. A, fr- a French woman, um, you might know this, but a French woman named um, Jeanne-Louis Calment, she has the record. You might know what her age was. 122. Yep. No, it was 122. <laughs> I looked it up. So, uh, <laughs> see, she smoked until she was 117. <laughs> and even at that point, she only reduced it down to two cigarettes per day. And she ate two pounds of chocolate per week. None of this is an endorsement, kids. None of this is an endorsement. Um, I'm just highlighting the absurdity of life, right? That should get a hearty Amen. She benefited from the most misjudged deal in history. At the age of 90 years, of, 90 years old, because of financial uh, constraints, she struck up a deal uh, with an attorney to pay her to 2,500 francs a month. Upon exchange, what she would do is when she died, she would give him her apartment. I think she had a really great piece of real estate, which happens when you're 122 years old. And so um, the attorney, of course, thought, well, (laughs) my odds are amazing in this deal. But like I said, um, life is absurd sometimes. And she outlived the attorney. (laughs) And she earned 900,000 francs in the process uh, to get to that age of 122. That's a ridiculous twist of fate. But I, think, I like to think 
that there's almost like a hidden lesson there somehow that like maybe her, she had this, and I don't know, but it's like maybe she had this like carefreeness towards her stuff and maybe a carefreeness even towards her future a little bit. And that relaxed her enough to just eat chocolate and just keep living, you know, I don't know. It's all a guess. One thing is abundantly clear in all seriousness. One thing is abundantly clear to us, at least scientifically, and that is that our anxiety and worry is killing us, quite literally. And um, that's not new. That's not newsworthy or something that's fresh to you. I mean, you, you become very well aware of what worry and stress is doing to you emotionally, um, psychologically, and, and very much physically. And it's important, therefore, for me to offer this, because we've been in this series on spiritual emotional rest. It's important for me to offer this disclaimer really periodically, and I want to offer it now, but it's, that's this. Jesus does not pretend that life is easy. I want to be really clear about that. Um, as a matter of fact, he told his disciples to expect that, and this is John 16, verse 33, in this life, you're going to have trouble. This Jesus said that. And I think that this is why Jesus talks about fear so much. It's precisely because life can be so troublesome. It's hard. It's just hard being a human in this world and all its brokenness. And you see at the, at the start of Luke 12, we jumped right kind of in the middle of it, but at the start of Luke 12, Jesus is doing a lot of talk on anxiety and fear. If you go back, to the beginning of it and start reading. And you pick up right about verse four, you'll see that. And so if you can imagine Jesus on a hillside speaking and this a huge crowd is forming as he's talking. And he starts saying this, and I'll, and I'll paraphrase uh, starting in verse four on to where we read, but he essentially says this, look, friends, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of people. They're really, really limited in what they can do to you. Yes, they can take your life, but they can't judge you and therefore place you in hell. Fear God. He's the judge. He has the authority to do that. And here's the thing. He doesn't want to. And he loves you more than anything. And so be loyal to him. Be fiercely loyal to him. And don't worry about what people say to you about that loyalty. Because if they come at you for your loyalty to him, he'll tell you by his spirit. He'll give you the spirit and he will give you the words to speak. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I mean, this is precious stuff. I mean, this is the scene where he says, look, your hairs are numbered. All of them. And, and there's not a little sparrow that doesn't drop dead and then God doesn't know about it. He, he, he remembers every single one of them. Don't be afraid. You are loved, right? It's precious stuff that Jesus is saying. And somebody speaks up in the middle of this speech, this, this wonderful talk that Jesus is giving. And what is the, the question in which they ask him? What do you think it would be? You think it would be something like, well, well, well how, what will fuel my 
fear of God, Jesus. Or, Jesus, what do I do, though, when I'm in this horrible, toxic situation or, or job and it's just killing me? How do I handle myself? What do I do in those situations? You think it might be a question like that. No, no, no. Jesus is saying the most precious things in the world. And here's the question, verse 13. Teacher, tell my brother to divide an inheritance with me. It's really strange, right? I mean, you can imagine, right, Jesus? I mean, my kids are full of non sequiturs, full of them. It's like all day, right? It, it, it goes something like this. It's like, kids, do you want ketchup with your nuggets? And their response is, can we go to the zoo tomorrow? <laughs> and I'm like, what, what does this have to do with nuggets, Right? Now, I don't think it's a deliberate diversion technique. It's just the, the, the reality is they're not really listening to me because they're obsessing over what they want. Now, my point is this. Our craving, my crave, our craving, my craving, maybe your craving, for money, possessions, and the delusion of the security that you think it provides, your craving for that stuff does the same thing. Meaning, the cravings act as a compulsive earplug to what Jesus is actually telling you. You read it, but you don't really hear it. It consumes us. You see, it's not like most people say, you know, I want to reorient my entire life my entire life and my, all my priorities around money and possessions and security. I mean, I've never heard someone say that. That's what I want to do, you know? I want to center all of my life around my savings account or my stock portfolio. No, no, no. It, this just happens little by little. We drift there because, because really because of the shine of it all. It's just shiny and we get kind of sidetracked and then the, that, that, that kind of acts like this like earplug reality and we don't hear things and, and we are so naturally worrisome over our future and our comforts and that we'll, just, we'll do just about anything to secure it. And, and as a consequence, we just tune out the certain kinds of language and words that, that Jesus uses and the rest of the Bible uses and the messages that are being given to us in his word that could utterly transform our lives if we would let them sink in over and over and over again. And it would lead us into a deep kind of rest. And we just refused it because like, we're, we've just got our fingers in our ears looking and thinking about what we have or what we don't have or what we need. Which leads me to the first basic principle here this morning. And that's this. We need to be honest around the language of Jesus. The language of Jesus concerning money. You see, Jesus takes this left field request. I mean, it's just interrupted speech. He takes this left field request uh, on, on this, you know, take my side on uh, this dispute I'm having over my, my inheritance. And, and after telling this, and what, you know, what he does is here, he, he kind of, he just brilliantly weaves it back into the same talk he's giving. That's what Jesus does here. So what he does first is he tells the man, look, no, I'm not gonna get involved in this. I'm not interested in this. This isn't why I came. I'm not here to take sides between you and your brother. 
And then he says this in verse 15, take care, be on guard against all covetousness. You could put the word greed there, excessive desire against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Pretty easy, not a difficult thing for you to translate. It's just, what's he saying? He's saying, be careful. Protect yourself from even just a little bit of greed. Even a little bit. Take it very seriously, is what he's saying, right? Because why? Because your life is too important. Your life is too valuable to be squandered over your anxiety surrounding it. Your anxiety around your money and your possessions. Now, I want you to just think really quickly a little bit about what you guard. Because I would guess everybody here guards at least a few things quite well, you know? Like, we guard things that are precious to us. We guard them fiercely. I mean, I saw a kid coming down the other street um, on their bicycle with their parent. They had pads. I mean, I don't know if there was a piece of skin showing, you know? It was pads, 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 pads. The kid, poor kid couldn't bike. I mean, it was, you know? And I was thinking, I was thinking, that kid's guarded, you know? Guarded, protected. When I was a kid, I, 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 there, was a, there was somebody um, kind of in the neighborhood that took really great care of their lawn. And as kids, you know, you, you hear these like little urban legends kind of thing. And the urban legend was that if you went into this guy's yard, he would shoot you. <laughs> I still think it was true. The idea, the message was clear, right? This guy guards his grass. Do not play in this man's yard. We guard all sorts of things. On a serious note, Christian people, you know, ethical and devout Christian people rightly guard their sexual lives. At least hopefully. They rightly guard their marriage relationship. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, Paul says in Ephesians 5.3 that sexual, sexual immorality shouldn't even be named among you, as is proper among saints. That's what he says. Like, so, you know, think about it. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm up late at night, staring at my computer, pictures of various women on my computer, and my wife sees it, or notices this, or you notice it for that matter, you know, you come across this reality, what will be said? Probably something like, man, this is problematic. This is dangerous. What are you doing? You're playing with fire, man. Rightfully so. Here's what's strange to me. If I was staying up late at night, night after night after night, staring at my computer, obsessing over how to make more money, nobody would say anything. No one. Why? I don't know if you caught it. I'm not being dramatic, you know? Some of you think, oh, he's just being dramatic right now. But the thing is, is I've been thinking about this a lot. In our heads, and I've been watching and paying attention to us as Christians, 
In our heads, we just are naturally conjuring up all these assumptions that soften and pad the danger around it because we don't want to talk about it. We actually don't want to get serious and honest about the language that the Bible uses around it. You know, which by the way, for the record, in case you didn't catch it, I didn't quote Ephesians 5.3 correctly. Here's the real verse. Ephesians 5.3, but sexual immorality and all impurity. And I love how Paul throws this in here, like, oh, you're gonna do this. I know you're not gonna think about this one. Or covetousness. Must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. <laughs> it's like, but we just white out that part right there. You see, I get the impression that Jesus knows our habit. I think Jesus just knows our habit of softening or just outright ignoring the dangers around greed. So it's why if you go to like Matthew 6, which is different but similar in that teaching on money, he says this in verse 22 through 24. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and he'll love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Now I know for a lot of us, if you're like me, come across the first part of that and you're like, what is he talking about? This eye business. Well, it's an idiom in his day, a healthy eye meant that you had a high degree of intentionality towards your life. And so you were very careful and serious about the way you looked at your life, your money, and the poor. You were very serious and very careful and very intentional about those things. And an unhealthy eye was someone who didn't have that uh, same intentionality. A bad eye meant that you loved the glitter of gold. You loved it. You stared at it. And it impacted the rest of your life, your, the, all of your life, the illusion of more. And therefore, all of that, you're just, your life would unravel into foolishness, greed, and selfishness. And so Jesus is essentially just saying, get honest. Get honest and get serious about how you look at money and financial security. Are you fiercely guarded around it? The second principle is this. So it's not just the language, like being honest around the language. It's this too. We need to get honest about where greed comes from. Like what, what, where is, what, what's actually at the root of it? And, and also, what is it doing to me? You know, like what is my lack of seriousness and carefulness around my covetousness? What is it doing to me? Now, I think it's interesting that after both of these different teachings on money, Matthew 6 and Luke 12, after both of them, it's interesting that Luke and Matthew record Jesus saying the same thing. So different teachings, but then they have him saying this. Therefore, I tell you, this is uh, in Luke 12, it's 22 through 23. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. They both have him going there. What you eat nor about your body, what you will put on for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. So what you see here is Jesus is returning to the main topic that he was addressing at the beginning. Fear and anxiety and worry. 
anxiety, fear, and the restlessness that nags our hearts. Now he's weaved this back in after the inheritance question and he's back onto this topic. So here's the question that I want you to ask. Is it this, is, is anxiety and fear driving your greed or is greed driving your anxiety and your fear? It's like, yes, <laughs> it's both. It's a, this horrible, nasty feedback loop. It's this destructive feedback loop that's driving us straight into evil and straight into the ground faster than we want to admit. Consider this parable that he tells. Jesus actually, we read it. Here's a guy who's having a ton of success, right, on his farm. This fictional character, this guy, he has a land that's producing plentifully. And so times are good. And what's he do? What did you, if you remember, what's he do? And here, verse 17 and 18, he, he thought to himself, man, things are good, man. My career is taken off. What do I do? Well, what should I do? I, I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, well, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and, and build larger ones. And, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And, I, and I'll say to my soul, well, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now this, in this fictional story, this does, things don't work out well because God's like, well, guess what? But here's the thing. Notice when Jesus tells this little parable, notice this. Jesus has this guy talking to his own soul. That's strange. Why is he doing that? Because underneath, and I think Jesus is highlighting this, underneath, What's really going on is this man's soul is anxious and restless and afraid, and he's desperate to calm it down. And he thinks he can do that by saving. He thinks he can calm his soul, rest his soul, if he plans well enough. And what's so sad about it is in the meantime, what he does is he takes on the stress of tearing down barns and building bigger ones. More money, more work. Instead of enjoying his goods and seeing it help people, he takes on more stress so that he can make even more and keep more, and it's this nasty feedback loop. The wisdom that is from the Bible is full of warnings on this. Uh, here's one, just one example, Proverbs 23, verse four. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. I love Annie Dukes. She was a poker player. She made a ton of money playing yeah. poker. She wrote a book on quitting. She talks about how in our culture, we, we, we make the heroes. We, we talk about heroes only as the people that have perseverance. And she goes, that's not real life. There's a whole lot of winners that actually win because they know how to quit. She goes, we need to start promoting the word quit. Get smart, get wise, learn when to quit. The Bible has this balance, it understands. Perseverance is wildly important, hugely important for your life. Have some grit, but also have some quit. Know when to quit. It's killing you. 
But we don't because uh, we don't typically quit because in part, because like I said, we, we, and we've already noted this, but we're distorting the language and accepting our own compulsive anxiety around our futures. And here's the thing, when things feel uncertain in my life, when things feel uncertain in your life, like when things feel out of control, which in some respects is all the time for some of us, what do we do? Well, let me tell you what I think at the root you're doing. When you are scared or when you are stressed, when you're anxious, when you're restless, what is it that you're looking for? You're looking for good news. You're looking for a gospel. Something that will relax you and calm you down. The problem is that we are suckered all the time by a false gospel. Let's call it, let's call this false gospel the gospel of the West, the gospel of America, the gospel of consumption. It has, a, it has a message for you. It's, it, there's a, there's, it's giving, it's news. It's telling you a story. If this, then, right? The false gospel says this. You can work and figure this out. You can get it. It can be yours. You can have it. Plan, save, buy, spend, eat, drink, get it. It'll be yours. You'll, be, you'll finally be happy. You'll finally relax, right? You'll finally have the security you're longing for. You'll finally rest. But the insidious thing is it's not working. And I think anyone in here that has a shred of integrity and is paying attention to yourself, you know that it's not working. The actor Will Rogers called it out years ago. Here's what he said. Too many people spend money they don't have, <laughs> spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. Some of you in the room are like, who is Will Rogers? Yeah. All right. LeBron James said it this way. Not all money is good money. Uh, for my 90s people, Biggie Small said it this way. <laughs> Clearly, we have a lot of 90s people in this church. Biggie Small said it this way. I, and this is, I looked it up, just another real quote. I ain't exaggerating at all, man. The more money you make, the more problems you get. Just turned into a song, by the way. And jealousy and envy there's something that comes with the territory, man. Oh, which prophet would you like to reference? <laughs> They're all saying the same thing. Here's some just data on our, on our gospel of consumption. Over the last 50 years, the size of the Amer average American home has nearly tripled. On average, our homes contain more televisions than people. You're like thinking, right? You're like, wait, what do I? Home organization, the service, that's, the service that's trying to find places for all of our clutter is now an $8 billion industry and it's growing at a rate of 10% each year. So you kids, if you want a new career, we are buying way too much stuff. 
And still, um, one out of every 10 American households rents off-site storage. The fastest growing segment of the commercial real estate industry over the past four decades. Off-site storage. You would think all this wealth and consumption would cause a lot of contentment and happiness in us, right? Wrong. It's not working. Greg Easterbrook in his, um, his book, The Progress Paradox, said this, quote, adjusting for population growth, 10 times as many people in the Western nations today suffer from unipolar depression or unremitting bad feelings without a specific cause than did half a century ago. Americans and Europeans have ever more of everything except happiness. You get the point I'm making. I'll stop because you're like, this is the most depressing sermon. It's gonna get better. We worry about getting, so we strive for more. But if we get more, we just worry over getting even more or just simply worry about keeping the more that we have. It's an endless cycle. To all of this, Jesus doesn't just say, quit the nonsense, stop the greed. That's not what he says. He does something far better. What he says is, is he says this, consider how I look and feel about you. Stop for a moment and consider how I look and I feel about you. Now, you might be thinking at no point in the text that we read does he say that. Technically, he says, consider ravens and lilies. That's what he says. To the Jewish audience that he was speaking to, ravens were dirty birds. You also might think of them as dirty birds, but to the Jew, they were definitely dirty birds. And little flowers, while they might be beautiful, they were essentially grass that was trivial and it was just fuel for fire. And to all of that, Jesus is saying, that's fine. I'm quite aware of that. However, Jesus is saying, but God still sees to it to feed them and make them beautiful. The metaphor is meant to provoke a question, right? It's, it's meant to get you inside to ask a question. What kind of God cares deeply, deeply for dirty birds and delicate flowers? Like, that's silly. Well, here's the reality. A God that has, is outside of time. And he stands outside of this idea of limited resources. That's what kind of God. And he has unbelievable concern and love for even just this most small, insignificant thing. God is not a pragmatist. He's prodigal. God wouldn't sit well on your committees and your board meetings because we talk about efficiency. God doesn't deal in that kind of language. He's outside of that. So he's perfectly fine constructing a beautiful little flower that only has an hour of a life. He's prodigal. He's perfectly comfortable wasting and wasting and wasting because he loves. He's just an endless well of love. And if that's not true, or sorry, if that is true, then how do you think he looks and feels about you? The people, the very people that he sent his son to die for See, we don't just need to be honest about, 
uh, Jesus's language around greed, although that's important. We don't just need to be honest about the warnings around it. And we also need to be honest about how he thinks and feels about us. You need to get honest about that. You need to get honest about the false gospel that you get duped by, but you also have to get honest about the real gospel that's being told to you, that you just sometimes forget, you know, or you let slip. Which is to say this, my worry, my worry, because I'm a part of this, my worry, my anxiety, my restlessness doesn't just need guardrails against the lies of my compulsive need for more, more stuff, more savings, more financial security, whatever. My anxiety, my worry, my restlessness needs the truth that I am loved. I'm loved. That I am who I am loved by. That you, above what you do, above what you make, above what you have, above all of that, more importantly, you ultimately are who you are loved by. You're actually not that different than the kids that were sitting here. You just have better ways of masking what's going on. My fears will remain fears until I repeat that gospel to myself over and over and over again. So simple, but not easy. And yet so overlooked. And I think that's in part because the gospel is too free and it seems too good to be believed and trusted. But that's what makes it the gospel, the good news. And it's why we continually stumble over it. Because we are swimming, friends, in a life, in a world of religion, and it's on every advertisement and every fear-laden news article that you read. And religion is saying a lie. Religion is saying life is what you do. Life is what you earn. Life is what you can achieve and how much you can build in terms of comfort and security for yourself. That's what life is. That's what religion says. In the words of Dr. A.J. Swoboda, religion is hostile to gifts. Religion is hostile to free stuff. It hates free stuff. That's why you stumble over the gospel, because it's free. It's free. You're loved before you change. You're loved. And if you got that and you got it deep inside you, then change just strangely comes because it's not by you and your power anymore. It's by him. Real life is who you are loved by, full stop. So come to the table this morning. There's one here and there's one here. Come to the table as one who is loved, not as one who is trying to earn it. If you're new to this, before Jesus was taken and crucified, for my sin and your sin. He was with his disciples and he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup of wine and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. It's a promise. And all that means is that he's saying, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never stop loving you. 
I've died to secure it. And so when you come forward, you're taking a piece of the bread and you're dipping it in the wine or the juice, whichever your conscience permits, to celebrate that, to remember that, to reflect on that, and to say, this is what my true identity is. It's this. If you're a Christian, you're invited to come forward. You don't have to be a member in this church. You just can line up when you're ready and take part. All we ask is that it's genuine for you. This isn't a space for perfect people. This is a space for people to thank the perfect one. That's all it is. So we come up and we say, thank you, your life in place of mine. Jesus says in verse 21, to be rich towards God. That just means have a rich relationship with him. That's the starting place. You'll never be generous. You'll never change. You'll never be what you wanna be until you first get this, be loved. You'll never seek the kingdom or you'll never do any of those things until you rest in his free love. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks. May by your spirit, may we grasp what you've done. May we grasp how that you've come, how you've taken on everything that I deserved because of your love. May we get it this morning. May it somehow like eclipse and push out all the other fear stuff that we're dealing with. We just be overwhelmed by your sense of love and let your spirit take us and lead us in the direction that you want. And thank you for the time. It's in Jesus' name, amen.